Well, I tell you what, if uh, had he sung another song, I would have lost my voice completely. This has been just a great morning of worship, and uh, I want it to continue. Worship doesn't stop when the music stops. Worship continues through our attention to God's Word, through our attentive, attentiveness to His message, and through our response to what He's telling us to do. And so I want us to continue this worship process as we talk about one of the most exciting topics in all of the Bible, that being giving. Now, it's exciting for a lot of reasons. One that immediately comes to mind is the fact that the Bible tells us God speaking. He says, I want you to be holy because I am holy. In other words, I want you to be like I am. So then we have a responsibility to behave in a manner that is God-like. And how much more could we behave in a manner that is God-like than when we're giving? God has given the very best He has for us. God has given to us His precious Son to die on the cross of Calvary to make it possible for us to have eternal life, to be forgiven, to not face the wrath and judgment of Almighty God. And as a result, it ought to draw in us such a response that we want to be Christ-like. We want to be God-like. And so, we will be also those who give in response to the message and commandment of God. But now, while it is exciting for some of us, it is also a message that I understand is fearful for others. A message that brings intimidation and some anticipation and anxiety and... And I want you to know that I understand that. And, and I'm not belittling those feelings that you have this morning. In fact, I've come to understand that typically people who have that anxiety inside of them, that fear over the matter of giving, will generally fall into one of three categories. And one is that you're not a child of God, and therefore you don't feel the responsibility to be obedient to God's commandments. It's okay. For someone else, you may be a child of God and yet you've just chosen to live in rebellion to God and so you're not going to give. And for others, and I believe this is where the bulk of us would fit into this category, the fear comes in that we just haven't learned to deeply trust God yet. And as a result of not knowing how to deeply trust God, we don't feel that freedom to give as God intends, as God directs, as God commands. And so we're timid with our giving, we're timid with our offerings and with our tithes. One thing you need to know, and, and I, I, I'm saying this just to put you at ease this morning, is what I want for you, if you're not a giver, if you're feeling that fear and that anxiety, I want you just to relax. Just, just to breathe in and breathe out calmly and relax because this is not one of those discussions or one of those studies that's going to be in your face and I'm not here to embarrass you. It's not about that. What I really want to do is just simply inform you. I want to share with you God's principles. I want to share with you some, some very logical things, but then also God's principles that will lay out for you the reasons for this. I hope to answer some very important questions for us today on this matter of giving. Why do we give? Why do we give? So stay with me. Now it's important before we start the discussion to understand exactly what it means to give God's way. 
What does that involve? What does that entail? The Bible talks about giving a tithe, which is a tenth of our income to the Lord. And then as our faith grows, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, that beyond the tithe, that we also give offerings to assist in what God is leading this church to do in different places. And so with that understanding, I want to now take you into the depths of some questions that I think are very logical, are very good questions, are very fair questions to ask when we think about giving, because giving truly is a God thing. And so to start it off, if you have your study guide out, if you don't, you can find that in your bulletin, but if you have your study guide out, you'll notice a place for you to fill in this first question. Number one is simply this. A good question to ask is, well, where does my money go? Where does my money go? Okay, if I give as God intends, where does my money go? And I, I think that's a fair question, but I think before we can answer the question, we have to debunk something that is false in that question to begin with. And you may say, well, you know what I mean, but just in case, let's clarify what we're talking about here. Because when we use the words, my money, we're actually falsifying a thought. Because actually, the Bible tells us that for those of us who are children of God, we've been bought with a price. Therefore, we belong to Almighty God. We are property of Almighty God, and everything we possess is His as well. I mean, that doesn't change the fact that He owns it all anyway. But when we become children of God, we are simply caretakers of what God has entrusted us with, and we have the responsibility to use it as good stewards before God. So we have the responsibility to take what God has given to us, and He says, now I want you to use it in order to further my kingdom, in order to build my church. I want you to use that in order to bring me glory. So we have a responsibility as children of God to take what God has entrusted to us and to use it for His honor and for His glory. But then, as I said, the question is a very fair question. Where does, where does the money go once I've given it? And I think it's fair enough in that because of the fact that we believe that you should know, we should all be very transparent with what's happening with our finances. Every year, in fact, it's coming up soon, every year we will have an opportunity for the deacons to present our next year's budget to us. And we'll have a couple of weeks for you to ask questions and to pray over it. And then we'll come back together, and as a church, we'll vote it into existence. And this is the layout of how our money is spent for the coming year. On top of that, we try to keep you informed every week in the bulletin. You'll see a place on the bulletin where we show the, the budget and how much has been brought in, the offerings and the tithes that have been given, and then where we stand in relationship to the budget. And on top of that, we try to, try to inform you as time goes by how we'll be investing money here at our church, just as we did last week. We talked about building the handicap ramp into the back hallway. That's something that, that we want you to be aware of. We want you to be part of in those decisions. But let's just break it down now into some very real places where the biggest part of our offerings and our tithes are used as a church. And there are four things. You see a place for these to fill in as well. Number one, we invest very heavily in keeping our church debt free. 
We want to keep our church debt-free. Now, that's not to say that there'll never come a time when we have to borrow money. I believe that if God leads us to build something that uh, if we don't have the money in the house and that's what he's leading us to do, we all feel that that's what God's leading us to do, that we will borrow the resources that are necessary to make that happen. But for right now, God has given us the ability to work within our means and to put back. And so we've developed a building fund. And that's the way we were able to pay for the hallway, the, the ramp going into the back hallway without having to borrow money because we've been good stewards of what God's given us and we've been sitting back into that building fund monthly. And we believe that that's what God wants for us. At least at this point in time, God wants us to remain debt-free. And so as a church, we work together and we pool our resources and we use them as good stewards in order to maintain that status that God has called us to for this point in our ministry. But then letter B, we also invest very heavily in our children, in our youth, in our young adults and we invest in such a way that we have a pastor that leads them because we know the value and the significance of reaching our kids while they're young. We want somebody that's dedicated to serving their needs, to teaching them in a way in which they will relate. We want someone who can communicate with them on a level in which they understand. We want someone that will invest their time and invest their, their life into our kids because we know that they're the next generation that will be leading this church. And so we want to make sure we're raising godly children, godly youth, and godly young adults. We want to make sure we're pouring our lives and our hearts into them. And so we invest not only in the leader or the pastor of that group, but we also invest in the resources to make ministry possible for them so that we're raising kids that know Jesus Christ and that love Him. Letter C, not only do we invest in our youth and children and our young adults, but we also go beyond our church doors and we invest in our community. Now, just to throw out some examples, in September we did this in a very big way as we reached out to the homeless and needy. Literally invested thousands of dollars to reach out to them. Because what we're all about is sharing Jesus Christ with people. And we do that through relationships. And so we meet real needs in our community of people who have real needs and felt needs. We reach out to them in a way that they understand we're not after what you have. We don't want what this community has to offer. What we want them to know is that we're here for them. We're here to help them. We want to establish and build relationships that will extend beyond simple walls in a church building. We want to reach out. And through reaching out in that way, we will see people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we do that, reaching out and investing in our community, just as we did a few weeks ago in our fall festival. What an incredible event that is. Where literally hundreds of people come here to learn uh, that we care about them, that we love them, to see the information that shares the love of Christ and the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And so we invest in that way. We will be investing again in just a few weeks on December the 3rd when we have our new Christmas outreach. The, the uh, uh, what's it called? Somebody help me out. A reason to believe. It ought to be a reason to remember. <laughs> reason to believe. 
And you know what? That's such a special time because literally hundreds of people will come to see the decorations, will come to see the nativity, will come to see Santa Claus. And in the process of seeing all these other things, they're going to get to hear about Jesus Christ as well. And we invest in our community so that people will know the joy we have in Jesus Christ. And while we're talking about that, let me just stop for a minute and say to those who have invested not only your resources but also your time, have served in helping these become reality, thank you so much for giving. Thank you so much for your involvement. I know sometimes it feels like you're out there by yourself because ministry is tough. When we undergo something of such great nature as we do in these areas and we expect them to be done with excellence, man, it's tough. It's tough. But thank you so much for giving. Eternity will tell the impact you have. We may never know here, but eternity will tell the impact that we have in our community. We invest in our community. I want to share just a quick little story. Before the service, our officer, Sergeant Loveless, was telling me that he was at the Sequoia Nursing Home a couple of weeks ago and was talking to the people and, and somehow it got around to the discussion that he's working at Mile Straight now and keeping us safe and we're so grateful for him. But he was talking to a group of people, a group of the residents there, and, and one of them said, Al Goss, I know Al Goss. And he said, uh, he, she said, I, her name was Edna. She said, I wish I could still go to church there. But because of the things that are going on in her life, it's just not possible for her right now. But uh, Sergeant Loveless said, well, let me show you something. And he got a computer out and opened it up and showed them some of our messages. And began, she, they began as a group to watch. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a group of them watching right now live. <laughs> How neat. Another way that we're just simply investing in our community is making our services available to people who can't get here. But the fourth thing, letter D, you find on your sheet is not only do we invest in our community outside our doors, but we also go even further beyond our doors and we invest in our world. We invest in our world. We do this through our missionaries. You see, God has called us to go into all the world and make disciples. And unfortunately, we're not in all the world. Most of us will never leave Saudi Daisy for any extended period of time. And so it's kind of hard for us to fulfill that commandment and that commission of God to go into all the world and make disciples if we're always here. And so the way we accomplish that is by investing in our missionary partners, those who are part of our church family that God has called into different places, and also those who aren't. We invest. And this year, I haven't looked at it recently, but we were on target as in the middle of, or the end of, of the, the summer months, we were on target to invest more than $250,000 in missions this year. Praise God for that. You know what? That's the way we make an impact in this world. By partnering with people like Russ and Lynn Turner. By partnering with people like Clip and Mary Suddeth, Mark and Renee Gage, uh, Paul and Jennifer Dockery. I could go on and on and on. People who are going out and making a difference. Horace and Patricia Turner. Uh, man, I start that, I'll get myself in all kinds of trouble, won't I? But we make an impact in this world because we invest in our missionaries. So in 
Where does the money go? Well, I hope that you can see that. If you'd like to know in even more detail, please come and talk to me. Talk to one of our other pastors. Talk to our deacons. We would love to share that information with you. But that then leads us to a second question. And I believe this is also a very fair question. Why should I give? Number two, why should I give? Why? Okay, so we answered some of that in point number one. Some of that was very obvious, I think, in point number one. But let's take it even further now to answer this question. Why should I give? And there are four reasons I want to throw out. We could literally name hundreds of them. But there are four reasons I want to throw out for your consideration. Number one, or letter A on your sheet, is it's a matter of multiplication. It's a matter of multiplication where we're multiplying ourselves. We're multiplying ourselves locally as we invest in the community. We're multiplying ourselves when we invest in our children, our youth, and our young adults. And we're multiplying ourselves around the world when we send our missionaries out to go and invest themselves to do what God has called us to do in different places of the world. We are multiplying what God is doing here through our giving. The passage you see listed, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And here he leaves talking about the tithe. He's talking about offerings that were given in this particular case to help other believers who were in need. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God said, I want you to invest and multiply the seed. I want you to multiply what you're doing here by reaching out into different places in the community and the world, reaching out through your children. You know what? One thing I've found when we have passionate people over our children's department, we have passionate children as well. When we have passionate people over our youth department, we have passionate youth as well. When we have passionate people over our young adult department, we have passionate young adults as well. And so we invest so that we can multiply what God is doing through us in different places, in schools and in workplaces. God multiplies the seed because we have invested in His work. But not only is it a matter of multiplication, but number two, or letter B, it's a matter of the heart as well. It's a matter of the heart. He tells us in verse 11, he said, Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. That's a matter of the heart, I want you to know. Cheerful giver. It's interesting we talk about a cheerful giver because some of us are sitting in here even after being told, please calm down and don't worry about it. There's still an anxiety in your heart, isn't there? And yet God is telling us he wants us to give cheerfully. How in the world does that happen? Let me tell you how that happens. It happens as we become people who trust God more fully. As we understand God more completely. As we come into a, a realization that the blessings of Almighty God will be poured out upon us. As we get into this place where we know that God will meet our needs if we honor Him through our giving. And all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier for us to give cheerfully. <laughs> because I know the way God is going to use my gift. 
I know the way God is going to reach into our church, that God is going to reach beyond our church and way beyond our church. I know how God is going to use that. And on top of it, the incredible thing is God commands us to give. And then he says, but if you do it, I'm going to bless you. Wow. And the more we realize that, the more we experience that, the easier it is for us to give with cheerful hearts. Cheerful hearts. There was a time in my life before um, feeling God's call on me to come to this church that um, Melinda and I were tithing. Our stories are a little different in the way we remember this, so I'll go with the better one that's mine. Because uh, we all know my memory is wonderful. Uh, in second thought, I'll go with yours. Okay, so... There was a time in our life, we were giving, and yet uh, I owned an insurance agency at that time and uh, the, had, had hit some uh, rough patch there. And, and I remember being out with my, my brother, Tim, and telling him, you know what, I, honestly, I just, I don't know if, uh, if we're going to be able to keep tithing. I, I just don't know if I can keep doing that. And I remember his words to me. It wasn't that he was such a spiritual giant, but he had realized it through experience. He said, you know what? I don't think there's any way I could keep from it. I would be afraid not to. And that one statement impacted my life in a big way to where I began to watch a little more carefully what God was doing through my giving. And how even though we had hit a rough patch in the agency, God still met our needs. We didn't go hungry. Yes, there were a couple of times when we thought we might. And uh, maybe we split a can, can of Campbell's soup and that was our meal one time or two. But uh, you know what? God was faithful through it all. Bills were paid. This is a matter of the heart. Letter C, not only is it a matter of the heart, but it's also a matter of Christ-likeness. Matter of Christ-likeness. We saw in the introduction that, that, being, that, that giving is, is a God thing. That God gave His very best for us. But we also know that Jesus gave His very best. He gave Himself. God Himself came as a sacrifice for mankind. A verse you might write down the scripture reference to, Mark 10, 45, says this. For even the Son of Man, Jesus is speaking, by the way, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give Himself a ransom for many. Jesus gave Himself as a ransom for many. Jesus, the great example for us as children of God, gave Himself. And God said, now I want you to be like Christ. So then when we are giving, we are very Christ-like. That's a Christ-like thing to do. And I believe that it goes beyond the simple giving to the motive behind the giving. I didn't intend to talk about this, but for some reason God's prompted me, so let's just follow it for a second. You see, I can give reluctantly or under compulsion, and I don't think it does me one bit of good as far as as, as far as obedience to God, because God wants and loves a cheerful giver. God wants someone that says, you know what? God, you've commanded me to do this, and I trust you so much that I'm going to give, even though I don't see how we can make it without this. I'm going to give, and I'm going to watch you work in my life. I believe there's something about the, the heart 
that's taking place here that makes us more Christ-like. Jesus did not have to come and die on the cross, but he willingly put himself in that position. He willingly came and died on the cross of Calvary so that we might have life. He willingly took my place on the cross of Calvary. And I think that God wants willingness from us. That same heart of willingness, of, of sacrifice to say, Yes, God, I will do what you've called me to. You see, it's a matter of being Christ-like. But number four, letter D on your sheet. It's also a matter of obedience. It's a matter of obedience. Now, we're going to talk about this. In fact, the verses we'll read in just a minute under the third question. We'll share this more. And so I'm not going to go into it a whole lot. But certainly we understand that God has given us the commandment to give. Given us the commandment to live in a Christ-like way. To live in a God-like manner. And so... We are commanded to give. And the response to that commandment should be always obedience to the commandment. So then without messing around and talking about that anymore, because we can, we can carry that thought further. Let's just move into our third question. The third question, which I believe is also a fair question to ask. Okay, now I know that, that God commands it. I see where the money goes. And I know why I should give. But tell me... Number three, how does this affect me? How does this affect me? Uh, we could say, you know what, well, God commanded it, it really doesn't matter. And the truth is, okay, yeah, that's true. Really doesn't matter how it affects me, God commanded me, so I should give. But it is nice to know that God lays it out for us. And God says, not only have I commanded you to give, but I want you to see how it affects you if you respond in obedience or if you respond in disobedience. And so, what is the verdict? How does it affect me? Letter A is simply this. We have to begin with this understanding that failure to obey, failure to tithe is robbery. Failure to tithe is robbery. Now you say, Tom, that's a very, very harsh thought, and yet it is very true. In probably the most famous giving passage throughout the Bible and tithing, God tells us this. You have it listed for you. Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 11. God is speaking. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what ways have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing there, that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So God is very clear for us to be disobedient in the matter of giving, at least giving in God's way. It is simply seen in His eyes as robbing Him. That's a very scary place to be. But let me take you to another scary place. There's two of these on the negative side, and then there's two that's on the positive side. The second part of this negative place, and letter B for you to fill in, is that disobedience is cursed by God. Disobedience is cursed by God. Robbery of God is cursed by God. 
In fact, he tells us in, in verse 9, he says, You are cursed with a curse. You are under the curse of God. Why? For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. That also is a very scary place to be. I would not feel nearly as bad to be under the curse of my worst enemy as opposed to being under the curse of Almighty God. But God then turns it around and He says, Okay, here's where you are, but here's where I want you to be. Here's where you are living in disobedience, robbing me of tithes and offerings, but here's where I want you to go with this thought. Here's where I want you to be in your life, and here's what I want to do for you in the process. Because then He says, letter C, that obedience means that the church functions properly. In this case, he's talking about the nation, the temple. He's talking about how they're able to produce. But we have application for us in verse 10. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That the, the, the church may function properly. God wants us to function as a body. And you may say, well, Tom, you were going to answer how this affects me. And you're talking about the church now. But I want you to know that when the church functions well, that means that we're all functioning well, or at least we should be. When the church is functioning well, it means that our children, our youth, our young adults are being taught the Word of God as they should be. When our church is functioning well, that means that we're reaching into our community in real ways to make a difference in people's lives. When our church is functioning well, that means we're reaching out across the world through our missionaries to see people brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When the church is functioning well, the blessings of God is upon us. And that means that we all are in the process of functioning in a proper means before God. And so the church functions well. Let me quickly throw out the last one as well. And I wish you'd keep your notes out after you write this in because there may be something you want to jot down here in just a minute. But not only is obedience the means through which the church functions well, but obedience, God says, letter D, is rewarded. Obedience is rewarded. He tells us at the end of verse 10... He says, try me now in this. In other words, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Watch now and see if I won't do something that you're not expecting. The only place in all the Bible that God says, test me in this, put me to the test commanding this now I want you to test me and see if it's not accurate you give the way I've commanded and you watch and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings there will not be room enough for you to even receive it all now there are those who will say what that means is that when we give God's gonna make us rich you know what, he may decide to do it that way, but most of the time that's not the way it happens. I believe these blessings of Almighty God are, are being poured out in such a way that God blesses the relationships in our lives. Having problems in the family, sometimes that's a result of the lack of God's blessings upon us. Having problems with health, sometimes it's a, it's a result of God's lack of blessings in those areas. I'm not saying it's always that way because God uses different things to send us through trials. 
to make us stronger, to grow us. But I think for us individually, we have to determine, okay, am I giving the way God has intended? And if not, then maybe we come to the conclusion, you know, maybe I'm not under the blessings of God. Maybe I'm not enjoying the blessings of God. Therefore, I'm having problems with relationships. I'm having problems with health. I'm having problems at work or whatever else you may want to determine. But the great blessing is, God said, if you'll just put me to the test in this, you're not doing it now, but if you'll put me to the test in this and you'll do it my way, you watch and see what I do. You just watch and see. If I won't open the windows of heaven and dump on you such blessings that your bucket's not big enough to catch them all. Wow. But this... Reward goes beyond that because God then gives us an additional concept here to where he says not only are we talking about the blessings of God, but I'm also going to rebuke the money stealers from you. I'm going to stop the money stealers. Notice what he says in verse 11. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. We all know what it is to have those money grabbers in our lives. For some of us, it's a car that we just can't seem to get fixed. For others of us, we get through one thing and then another doctor bill shows up. And wow. Again, I'm not saying it's always the devourer. Sometimes it is a test from God, a trial to where God intends to grow us. But each of us, once again, must stop and decide, okay, is this what's happening in my life? And if so, maybe I need to follow in obedience the commandment of God. And when we do, we watch God do amazing things in rebuking those things that steal from us, that rob us of what God has entrusted to us. One additional thought, and this one's for free. I didn't really know where to put this in, but I think it serves a good case for being right here at the end. And that is that we also invest heavily in our adults. And part of that is because we know the importance of us being the church. We know the importance of us being everything we're supposed to be as we stand before our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. As they watch our lives, the importance of us being what God wants us to be in the matter of giving as well as the other areas of life. And so we invest and we teach the Word of God without apology. We teach the truth of God's Word without apology. Not that we do it in a way that's intended to offend, but we know the Word of God itself is offensive sometimes. Some of you may be offended by the discussion this morning. I hope not. Certainly that's not the intent, but it may have offended you. But my goal as a pastor, and all of our pastors have the same goal, is that we're not here 
to whisper sweet words in your ears all the time. There is a time for that. But what we are here to do under the commission and commandment of Almighty God is to speak the truth. God has called us to be like Him. Giving is a God thing. God has called us to be givers. To get to the place to where we understand how much He is trustworthy. And to watch His blessings be poured out upon those who are obedient. And so this morning, I'm calling us to this. As a church, I'm calling us to respond. For those of us who are givers, that we trust God further in our giving. For those of us who are not givers, that we step out in faith and we say, Okay, God, I'm going to put you to the test. I know you're trustworthy. I've seen that in other areas of my life, and I'm going to put you to the test now. I want to see you work. I want you to grow my faith in ways like I can't do otherwise. For those who maybe you do not know Christ as Savior, the response I wish you would have today is that you would come and allow us to share Christ with you. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. The instrumentalists will take their place and Jason will come to, to lead a song for, of invitation. And the, the invitation is just simply an opportunity for you to respond. How God's spoken to your heart this morning is how you should respond. And if you do not know Christ as Savior, that opportunity then comes for you to simply respond by meeting me here at the front. Let me tell you, I don't want to embarrass you. I know it's hard to step out in front of a group this size. But my goal is not to embarrass you. I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to point you out. But I will have someone who is skilled and trained in God's Word to show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So my prayer for you is that you will respond and you'll come to meet Him today. For others, maybe you want to come and say, Tom, you know, I just need somebody to pray with me. Hold me accountable in this area. Or maybe you just want to come and find a place for yourself at the front here and pray and seek God. Maybe you want to do that where you are. But my prayer for all of us is that we respond to the message of Jesus Christ today. That we respond to the truth of God's Word. Will you do that? Would you stand with me please?